It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 278, Jesus Heals the Paralytic and the Faith of Friends. Studying the miracles of Jesus, one can see miracles occur because of three types of faith. A man or woman's faith, in the case of the woman who touched the hem of his garment. The faith of Jesus, in the case of the dead raising and Lazarus and many other examples. And the faith of friends, as we'll see in this episode. In this episode, we'll discuss faith and the power of the faith of a friend. The concept of faith is astounding to me. Because it's one you can't fully understand unless you try to see it from perspective outside of our limited sight and knowledge, our dimension or perspective. Quantum physics and some some modern movies have a measured or creative look of things from outside our perspective. It allows us to try to position our understanding to, to look at these crazy scriptures offered in the New Testament to explain faith. Hebrews 11.1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith, this, this thing called faith is not required by God. God doesn't need to hope for things. He doesn't need evidence of things unseen. This is because he is above time and space and the limitations of life that we're confined to. Life controlled by the limitations of time and decay. In many ways, before the fall, there was no mention of time or decay or even aging. In Romans 8, it mentions how creation was subject to decay and futility. But we are in this fallen world, which needs redeemed. And Jesus came to start the process and step on the head of the servant. Matthew 17, 20. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Faith is only required by those living in this limited world with limited spiritual sight and hearing. Faith is required by us to believe in heaven, a reality above our dimension and understanding, a place where God dwells, a spiritual realm where angels and demons fight for the hearts of men. Faith is the belief beyond our limited sight and hearing of a three or four dimensional understanding. God is above it all. He is the one we worship. Faith is connecting the word and his promise which derives outside of our dimension and understanding. It's connecting with a promise from God who is not confined by the rules of this world like we are. It's this faith which moves mountains because we're connecting with the one who's above every mountain. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Here's a crazy one. Perhaps this um, suggests that this life is just a test of our will and purpose to serve God in heaven. But to me, it points to a scary fear of the Lord on time wasted on things that require no faith. Those things that have no eternal value. Only things of faith and love in God really matter. Galatians 5.6 The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Heavy, right? But if you do believe and your heart is right, well, all things are possible. All things are possible for him who believes. James 2, 24. Everything is possible for 
the one who believes. Mark 9.23 And when one comes to the realization of a greater power, a greater overarching theme to life, the power of the one above all creation, the one who is above all in any all things, the one you cannot see or hear in the physical requires faith to walk with him and understand him and to pray and have faith to believe all and to receive all that God has already promised. Faith is required to activate this pursuit of these promises and this relationship with an eternal God and to activate a relationship with a God outside of our dimension. Sometimes faith comes in the simple of raising of hands in worship. Sometimes the walk to the altar. Sometimes the humility to ask for prayer. Sometimes it comes in the belief that you follow a mysterious, still, small voice that whispers to you, the care of a widow, or other times it comes with an urge to help a friend, a neighbor who's suffering for years, one that only Jesus can help. And you know it deep down in your heart that it's the right thing. It's that love for a friend that this account accentuates. Imagine you have faith for your friend and your other friends do as well. Regardless of his desire or even his limited faith, you have faith for this friend. And you'll stop at nothing when you know that Jesus is healing everyone. Jesus did it for them. He'll do it for your friend. And this is where the account just takes off. Luke 5.17 Now it happened on a certain day as Jesus was preaching. There were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town, Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop, let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Did you catch it? There are tons of people around, around Jesus, and, and your friend, figuratively, cannot make it through the crowd. So you remove part of the roof in the house that Jesus is preaching in. And you lower the paralytic down in front of Jesus. It's a nice house for a head tile on top of it. And he didn't care. Your friend needed a miracle. Isn't that amazing? And when Jesus' presence is there, and the power of God is there to heal, people will stop at nothing. Jesus sees this faith and rewards the faith of their friends. And of course, he confronts the evil in the room at the same time. The evil which unfortunately is coming from the religious leaders, which is disgusting. It's sad to say this, but you know the religious when they see a miracle and they fail to marvel at the power of God. Instead, they question or push back with whatever earthly wisdom they can come up with. Luke 5.20, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to rise up? Or to say, rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has powered on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. 
And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. What a great Twitter post. We have seen strange things today. Uh, There's so much here. First, let's cover the gift of discernment. Jesus didn't exactly read their mind. I mean, God knows their every thought. But in this case, Jesus discerned the spirit working in the crowd, at least in the religious leaders. This discernment of spirits, which is, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, reveals what words and actions of the spirit realm are at work in a room or in a person. In its most limited form, you, you have it when you know if a person is speaking a word inspired by the Holy Spirit or the flesh. In this case, um, he saw the whispering, and he knew this was going to be an issue with them even before he started. Um, and when he spoke it, he felt their rage. Why are you reasoning in your hearts, Jesus said. Funny, right? Because um, he knew their hearts were dark. Dark reasoning is a sickening thing. And he confronted it head on because he was revealing that he had the power to forgive sins. But further, they only believed God had the power to forgive sins. And hey, he was the son of God. So he's, he's got a double whammy going on. He's like uh, forgiving sins, but also declaring he's the son of God. And he's also releasing healing. They were raging inside because indirectly Jesus was revealing he was the Son of God. Well, almost directly to them. The religious leaders were fuming. They soon stooped to murderous thoughts. So there's so much more to this story. Jesus, friends, healing, forgiveness are a common theme in the New Testament. Jesus bringing these themes together really has no coincidence. We'll end this episode with these connections. And after this scene, Jesus is passing through Capernaum, and he goes by a tax collector's booth. The tax collector is a man named Matthew. He was a Jew who served as an enemy of his countrymen, basically, collecting taxes for Herod and Caesar, and no doubt receiving his own cut. He was wealthy, and the source of his wealth was dubious in nature. He was well hated by his countrymen, for he was considered a traitor working for the Romans, collecting taxes on his own countrymen. So what you can't miss here is that uh, the Roman system of taxation was basically farming out the responsibilities. So the Romans would have um, tax collection in their provinces, and they would delegate it to a certain provincial judge. Well, that guy was responsible to collect, just make up a number, 10,000 denarii over you know three months. Well, any, if he collected 12,000 denarii, then that, you know, that official gets the extra 2000 And this whole thing was segregated out, and it was farmed out, and the commissions, the extra amounts, were given to the local officials or whoever collected it, right? So it, it was a dubious in nature because it was like there was a commission component, um, but they had authority of Rome behind it. So, you know, he could have collected 30,000 denarii in this short amount of time and collected 20,000 himself. Like it was all farmed out. Um, if the Romans found out it was abused or people complaining or all of a sudden they're fighting because of overtaxation, they would flip out. But you could you could farm out and you know, you could rake in so much and there's so much corruption that could happen. So the tax clear tax collectors were considered the enemy by the locals. Um, and Matthew, well, he was a tax collector. 
But let's talk about his skills. He was an he had an accounting skills. He had analytical and mathematical mind. He was a note taker and bookkeeper at heart. He was very detail oriented. He was potentially the most educated of the disciples. And if you're about to teach the greatest sermon in the world history, you need a note taker. And that's what Matthew is. And I'd like to suggest, just for fun, Jesus saw how bad Peter's notes were, and he handpicked Matthew next. Mark 2.13 Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors um, and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many. And they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to him, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke would um, almost make it more clear. You know, of course, he's the doctor, right? Luke 5.31, Jesus answered them, It's not the health you need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Matthew, in his personal account of Jesus, added this. Matthew 9.13, that Jesus would say, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Trust me, Matthew knows mercy because he just received it. And he knows this verse by heart because he'll say it so many times. The account continues. Mark 2.18 The disciples of John and of the Pharisees, they were fasting. But when they came and said to him, Why did the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast? While the bridegroom is with them, as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined." But new wine must be put into new wineskins. All right, so Matthew becomes one of Jesus' disciples, and he hosts him at his party. Um, And he has his friends, tax collectors and sinners, come over. They eat great food. Jesus teaches everyone at night. Um, A few of the jerk, self-righteous Pharisees uh, we're trying to find fault in Jesus, and Jesus just goes with it, and he blows their mind with amazing teaching. The garment comparison's great, but I prefer the wineskins. The last line sums it up well. New wine must be poured into new wineskins. So what's the wine? The wine's the Holy Spirit. Um, it'll come with the, the new covenant in astounding measures at and after Pentecost. Who are the wineskins? Who are the jars of clay? It's us. We are the vessels. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who will carry the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to prepare the wineskins that the Holy Spirit will fill. His teaching and preaching and discipling was preparing these wineskins to be the containers of the Holy Spirit to transform the world and to build the church. 
To conclude this episode, let's go back to the faith of friends, forgiveness, and the power of God. All of these, they roll together. It's quite amazing. It's called intercession when we pray for others. It's a requirement as a believer to pray and to pray for your friends and family and even those in authority. Our faith increases as we spend time with God, as we understand more about His ways and His heart. His Word transforms us from the inside out, and we become more like Him. Prayer draws us closer to God to hear Him and to pray His perfect will. And forgiveness and mercy are His ways. His ways become our ways. And when the presence of the Father in the form of Jesus walks the streets doing miracles, it was obvious that His power was working and doing miracles. Um, And these friends, they carried their paralytic friend, and they would stop at nothing to bring him to Jesus. It's interesting um, how they didn't even ask for him to be healed. Their faith in this case had no words but actions. James 2.14, faith without works is dead. In this case, the works was their actions of lowering the paralytic to Jesus. Their action was simply leading their friend to Jesus. Their action required great faith. They knew he would heal him or touch him just by bringing them to Jesus. That's faith. Their actions of taking him to Jesus was faith. Jesus is instilling this faith in his believers. These believers threw off an old mindset of going to the hospitals or the ancient equivalent or the priest who wouldn't do anything anyways. And they went straight to God himself in the flesh. In turn, the power of God flowed through Jesus. Jesus, like like always, went further. He brought a miracle, but not only a miracle, but an emotional healing, a teaching, and an encounter, and a confrontation with the enemy. Jesus told him his sins were forgiven to express a point. For a good number of personal, societal, and spiritual reasons, but I think there's a connection here. Check out these verses. James 5.16 Therefore confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So check it out. Forgiveness, friends, and healing is connected there in James 5.16. There's a connection between confession and intercession and healing. Jesus connects them with this healing as well. Here's another one. John 20.23, who you forgive, I forgive. I think we get too religious sometimes. There's the power of the tongue and the amazing power in speaking and declaring and working through forgiveness. But I find it interesting how little the intercessors said this time. There was no fasting or prayer. There was no evangelism. They just carried their friend to Jesus. Their faith on their shoulders brought the need to Jesus. Remember Hezekiah, he brought the threat of the uh, threat to his kingdom directly to the throne of God. In turn, God destroyed the enemy army overnight. Take your need and your friend's need to Jesus. Just unfold it. Think on this. You're the president of a bank and someone robs you. Well, the thief ends up going to your church and one day he walks to the altar and asks for God to forgive him from stealing from your bank. It's a super public scene and everyone forgives him. Next, the police officer comes up to you, the president of the bank, and he says, do you press charges? No, you don't press charges. It's done. It's taken care of in the heart. It's a heart issue. You got your money, and his heart has been changed, and there's reconciliation. Now take the situation out of church. 
The same thing happens, but he confesses in the local newspaper, gives you back the money. Do you press charges? No, you don't. The same holds true. He repented and you forgave him. There doesn't have to be this form of religious forgiveness, but reconciliation occurs. See where I'm going? Repentance, forgiveness, and the past is erased. Who you forgive, I forgive. Jesus is asking for us to live in a place of surrender, forgiveness, and reconciliation. The forgiveness occurs when we reconcile our past with each other. And by this, we remove the stains of sin and filth from our dark deeds of the past. Perhaps the paralytic embraced a horrid lifestyle which led to a great infirmity, or it was a soldier with a back injury which paralyzed him. Perhaps he really did need forgiveness. We just don't have the backstory, but we do know the result, healing and forgiveness. Forgiveness is such an integral part of a Christian walk. I had a friend who suffered from a repeat dream for 15 years. He... It, it, He lost his best friend when he was 18 in a car accident, and he had a dream once a month for about 15 years where he was still having dinner with his friend and family. He didn't see it as a problem, but it was. I started asking him about his friend, and he told me, you know, he didn't want to let go of him. Thus, subconsciously, he held on to him. Subconsciously, he lived in the past still because he couldn't surrender his friend. These friends of the paralytic brought their friend and surrendered his care to Jesus. Similar to everything we have, we must surrender to Jesus. We must surrender all to Jesus, our jobs, our careers, our lives, our family. If Jesus is your Lord, surrender is key to a spirit-filled life. With surrender comes success and heavenly fruit. Proverbs 16.3 Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. This is the essence of surrender. My friend eventually got this. He surrendered his friend. This is my friend who had had that repeat dream for 15 years. He surrendered his friend to God and just in a moment of prayer. And he stopped having his dream. And he was able to move on in his life. Spiritually, he was able to move ahead with his life and stop living in the past, which hindered him. And it took from his future. The funny thing was, once he did that, he actually, soon after, he was able to get married, um, had, you know, greater relationships in life, um, even better relationships with his his family, once he released um, something that hung up on him in his past. Take this as an example to see how God can work through forgiveness and surrender and allow us to move and step into our future Carry your friends, believe for them, and lead them to Jesus, and he will do the rest. I got another story. I was at Walgreens the other day, and this lady kind of freaked me out when I walked to the register. She stepped back two feet, not sure why, but she said it almost, she had almost died of COVID months ago, and she keeps her distance from everyone. And I said, no worries. Uh, I'm sorry to hear about your experience. Um, she was previously on a ventilator, and she had barely made it. Um, she said she was on her third life, um, as she had almost died even years before that, um, when she went into a coma after a car accident. And I asked her if she, you know, I was, now I was curious, very curious. So we just had a conversation, and I asked her if she saw a light or had an experience when she was in a coma, um, 
you know, often people, when they're in a coma, they have some kind of spiritual experience or they see a light in a tunnel uh, and a quest and I even questioned her. And, and she said she didn't experience anything. And I, and I told her, God is always looking for us to call out to him. He wants relationship. Um, she said she came from a religious family. Um, she didn't want anything to do with it. And I, and I said, I've been burned by religion too. I mean, I should have just told her this whole story about it. It was the religious people who are going after Jesus after he does his, his miracles. Um, but I told her I love Jesus because um, I've experienced his love. And and he's looking for you to call out to him. And we had a good conversation. And I ended it with, you've got a third lease on life. Ask Jesus if he's real. Ask him. Cry out to him. And if he's real, he will answer. And... And I, I, I just really pray for her that she calls out to God. And when she does, God really opens her eyes. I didn't formally lead her to Jesus, but I told her a testimony of myself. And I told her how to pray. Ever so slightly, I pushed her toward Jesus. All she has to do is ask him if he's real and to call out. Sometimes it's fun to set people up for the promises. And we know it's already promised. Ask, seek, knock, and the door will be open to you. Find your friends. Find those paralytics out there. Dig a hole in that proverbial roof of limitation and lower them into the heart of Jesus where there's forgiveness of sin, healing, and salvation. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Uh, feel free to check out the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.